Hello and welcome back to the first podcast of 2023. Uh, we took some time off. We're back and the lads are with me here. I've Sam and Westy, one of which is on their deathbed, but still showed up to work and you gotta respect that. Westy, that is I'm referring to you there, you're on your deathbed. Uh you're 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 under the weather. How are you, bud? Um, yeah, I am. I've got a bit of a, a sore throat and a headache and a bit of a cough. I've taken multiple antigen tests and they've all come back negative, but unfortunately that doesn't really make you feel any better. Um, but yeah, no, just uh, having a lazy or uh, relaxing few days now in bed before I, before I venture back into the world when reality kicks off again post-Christmas. Well, at least you don't have like a holiday plan tomorrow with your dad or anything like that, right? be really shit if I had to be in the airport um, at four o'clock this, this in, in the morning. Yeah, that'd be tough. Um, yeah, and if it was an activity like, do you know, like skiing or something, yeah. like mm. high impact up in the mountains. Yeah, luckily I don't have any cool plans like that with my skiing dad. Skiing is really warm as well, so, you know, you'd be able to stay nice and warm as well. Well, at least I'll be wearing lots of layers. Yeah, well, that's true. Hats and scarves are big I, when you ski. I was talking to Westy about this the other day, and I kind of already knew Westy was a little bit posh. Like, you, you two, two of you are kind of posh compared to me. But when you when you go skiing on holidays, that kind of confirms that you're posh. I I've never been skiing. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody growing up in Cavan. But uh, you missed out on skiing is so. so you, of course, Sam, you've been skiing too, right? You probably own, you probably own a resort of some description in the Alps. Sam went on school holidays to the fucking no. French Alps. No, I did not. That's a ridiculous statement. I did not do that. No, in second uh, year in school, Sam went wine tasting. That was his. Uh, <laughs> that was his years fucking uh, holiday. What, is that any? They only, gave us, they only gave us Ribena though. That was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> when you crushed your own grapes, it was nice. It was authentic. Uh, Westy, but thanks for showing up, Westy. I'm sure the fans uh, are, are delighted to have you here, even if you sound a bit gravelly. Uh, <laughs> Sam, how are you? You you've overcome your sickness. Well, you're on the you're on the you're on the way out. Just about on the way out. I'm not going to get the sympathy vote. Westy's voice is really going to put me to shame. But yeah, no, I was dying with COVID since uh, Stevens's day. I planned to go to the Connacht match with my dad yesterday, and I couldn't get get out of bed. It's probably the worst I've ever felt. And I had COVID a couple of months ago, uh, but this was twice as bad. And then yesterday evening, I had about a vertigo, couldn't get off the couch. And, absolutely dying so I went for a walk today walked around the village and uh, came home had to sit down take a break so it's a it's not an easy one but I believe everyone in Ireland is fairly sick at the moment or getting over some sickness it seems to be rife be it COVID be it this neurovirus be it whatever else it is it seems to be absolutely everywhere so with that in mind everyone sit back enjoy yourself and listen to podcasts if you, if you can't go out too sick to go out you can listen to us talk shite about uh, rugby for an hour <laughs> yeah we'll we'll make you sick from the shite that we talk uh i was sick before christmas like the 20th to up till about christmas day since stephen's day and then i, I started yeah i was i was i was i was so underground with my sickness before it became mainstream uh but no i i wasn't as bad as used to i had i had a pretty bad for about a day and a half and then i just kind of had a cold but it's just so hard to shake because it's already cold outside as it is everyone else is sick so like everyone else is giving you your germs so it's very hard to get over it properly, but uh, at least we're all here and alive, lads. And it is, as I said, it is 2023. Um, I think we should uh, go around with some New Year's resolutions. So Sam, uh, kick us off there. Give us one or two New Year's resolutions that you I, either I jokingly three, want to do or actually want to do. No, I have three written down on the phone. I decided this year I'd write them down, so I had to commit to them instead of saying some bullshit like, 
I'm going to be healthy this year, which means just absolutely nothing. So I said, by the end of the year, I want to lose 10 kilograms because I'm, I'm feeling about 10 kg heavier than I should be at the moment. Uh, it's been a long covid sort of two years, three years. And then first year of being a dad, really embracing that dad bod lifestyle. So yeah, cutting out the snacks and trying to get down weight. Uh, that and while my daughter is awake and out of bed, my phone is going to stay on the counter. Uh, I've gotten into a bad habit of sitting on the couch on the phone while she's around and she, I don't want to live my life like that I don't think it's fair to her and giving up smoking while I'm sober anyway uh, I wrote no sober cigarettes because I, I don't know I don't know if I can I can't I can't control I can't control drinking Sam but I can definitely control sober Sam so that's that's my three uh, I think just good quality ones that will improve my life uh, I think I don't usually do a new year's resolution I usually say something like oh new year's I'm gonna be real healthy and then just don't do anything about it, really. Uh, maybe stop eating chocolate for the first week of January. So this year, I've given myself some strict goals. Well, see, the problem as well with this year was New Year's fell on a Sunday. So you're not going to start a diet on a Sunday. And then today was a bank holiday. So you're not going to start on a bank holiday. So uh, Yeah, exactly. Like Who's who's cooking a big, healthy dinner tonight? Like I got just got two oven pizzas from Tesco. Do you know, it's it's bank holiday Monday, people. Um, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't normally be a big fan of like the, the idea of like New Year's resolutions. You know, like... If you're gonna do it, do it. Shit or get off the pot. Um, so I kind of have an ongoing goal every year, which is well, pre-COVID was to try and visit two new countries every year, um, or failing that four new cities. So like if I've been to Paris already, but I go to Toulouse, Montpellier, Nantes, and um, I don't know somewhere what else you, in France. What I can't you just call me? La Rochelle. I called you a Nantes. Oh my god! Um, How dare you, sir? Um, so yeah, can, that's an ongoing one that I kind of have every year that's been kind of stifled by COVID a fair bit. So I'd like to get into kind of good travel habits again this year. Um, and then the other one is kind of linked to that. I kind of already started um, back in November before I went to Paris for the first time, um, which is to learn a new language or to at least start learning language. Um, because I really like learning language. It's kind of the one, not the one thing, but I think that really interests me and that I would love to be able to converse. And I find that anywhere you go in the world, if you have a little bit of their language, if you try, they're always really, really, you know, grateful for that. And they're quite friendly. So yeah, um, I've currently been on to the Galway Language uh, Centre and I'm kind of looking into enrolling in a course for the next uh, six months. Or six, uh, yeah, not six months, but four months, I think. Your guys' are uh, really impressive. Uh, my ones are, I mean, you know, every year kind of same, give up class A drugs. Um, just off the bat, you know, heroin, cocaine. Nailed, nailed it every year so oh, far. So far, been pretty good. Uh, you know, it's always around the corner, though, Sam. You know, you always got to watch out. Uh, no, serious. Obviously, yeah. Same one year for me is trying to get healthier, lose a bit of weight, and I have one of my first friend of my core group is getting married back home this summer, so I have a nice target for that. I'm one of the groomsmen and stuff like that, so. Um, get get a bit healthy for that, and then like selfishly, I'd love to shoot a level par round, if not better, in golf. Uh, I've come close to four over as my lowest. Um, so I'm gonna try and get that this year, and hopefully with Sam by my side, uh, I can accomplish that. I'll take all the bad shots. So <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. Hopefully that does Sam. Yeah, hopefully. who was who was playing with Rory in the Open this year? Who was just having an absolute mare and definitely affected him. It was a member. Oh, was, the last round. Yeah, he uh, sucked. Adam Smith, ass. Was, Adam Smith was doing so well. And the Rory was playing with someone who was just not doing well at all. And it just drained any momentum he could so, get out of so it. So, you want me basically to not play with yeah, you during the summer? That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll find, 
another another resolution is to find a different golf partner. Uh, hey. <laughs> could be another Don't one. take this away from me. Yeah. I got one night a week. Uh, but yeah, I uh, hope everyone else has uh, some realistic ones as well. I hope you all achieve them. Uh, Wessie's probably the coolest uh, of all those. Right, let's get stuck into some rugby. Can't have played twice now since we last had a podcast. Uh, but we'll get stuck into the latest one before we're talking about the Ulster game. Uh, they played last night, losing to Leinster in the RDS, 41 points to 12. Uh, a spirited performance from Connacht, but uh, the last 20 minutes, uh, Leinster had their purple patch that we all kind of expected. And they ran in three three tries late to sort of... Uh, the scoreline definitely didn't reflect the game and how tight it was. Um, but like in terms, Sam, from even team selection, I, I don't think Connacht viewed this one as a, a potential points haul anyway. Uh, judging by you know they they rested a lot of the big names, probably smartly so I think we'd all agree on that. Uh, even with a full strength team, probably wouldn't have won this game anyway. So uh, definitely went into this game a little bit cautious. Yeah, it's hard to tell if the illnesses and stand down periods for some of the bigger names like Mac and Bundy and uh, Beelham were you know were they not enforced on Connacht? Would they still have played the same team? Because I think that they would have played something similar, where a kind of mix. Uh, getting some minutes in the legs of some of the players who haven't played as much uh, and changing it up and rotating a little bit because unfortunately for Leinster that's going to be the way that everyone views a trip to the RDS from now on including in the Heineken Cup until the knockout stages or later into the knockout stages we saw with Gloucester they just it's not worth the trip it's so hard to get a result there they're you know they have third fourth choice players playing at the weekend mixed in with some first choice players and those players didn't miss a beat they're they're so ingrained in the system they're so well drilled they're level of fitness is so high and so much higher than everyone else's that it makes it a near impossible task to go there and get a result and the the more often teams don't get a result there the harder it's going to be for anyone to mentally get up for it last year there was a couple of scares for them i think it was a was a zebra and cardiff beat them and it was a potential chance for the hoodoo of the rds to be lifted and then it's just since that semi-final loss they haven't lost there again and it's made it really difficult I think they've gotten all but three bonus points this year were available to them they've played 13 times and they've scored 40 plus in six of them and 38 and 35 and two others they're they're an absolute machine so Connick were probably right to rotate a little bit it's hard to know if that was enforced due to the illnesses and the injuries and the stand down or if that they were always going to do it but I liked the team selection going into it I thought it was refreshing I thought there was some players there that I was excited to see and they didn't actually let me down. I thought Darren Murray was quite good, or really good, sorry, uh, which I was happy out with because I think that he's had a couple of cameos and he's growing into a brilliant young player beside his brother there. I thought Robson McCoy, it was a big game for him starting in the front row against Leinster. You know what they can do to packs, And I think he held his own. And for someone that was let go last year and then brought in because another, apparently another uh result didn't come through or another signing didn't come through I thought he had quite a good game and Dooley stepped up Butler had an outstanding game and there was talk of when Boyle went down injured we'd be losing out and you know we've said on the podcast as well we didn't see Butler really as an eight but I thought he stepped up and he was excellent so the performance from the players that did play I think is enough to beat anyone that we have left this season we have the Interpros out of the way we have the two aways in South Africa out of the way we have obviously some hard games. Edinburgh, Glasgow, great team. Benetton are hit and miss this season, but they're there. We'll have some European teams. It's going to be hard, but if we can muster the performance we had last night with a mix of first team and second string players, I think that they're they're capable of beating anyone else we have left this season. 
Yeah, you highlighted, obviously, the Murray brothers were fantastic. Uh, they're here to fuck your line it up, and whether you like it or not. They were, what, they both had a steal in the first five minutes? Um, it, and Dara, One of the first five lineups. Yeah. Dara, he's he seems a bit more, I think, Wes, you were saying, he's a bit more aggressive than Niall. He's a bit more, I don't know if he's faster or what, but he, he seems to shoot out of the line a bit quicker and can really impact. I think he nailed Johnny Sexton in the second half early. Um, but like to find one amazing talent from a family is one thing to seem to have a second now is just flat out uh, luck. So um, great to have him there as well because we kind of were talking privately. It looks like Leva could be on the way out. Uh, doesn't seem to be featuring this year much. Um, he's getting kind of the Papali treatment. Um, so having Dara there to possibly come in is is great going forward. Westy, uh, obviously. Conceding 41 points and saying that defensively, I don't think Connacht were that bad last night. It obviously seems a bit like a, an oxymoron. But bar the first try, I don't think Connacht really collapsed defensively. It just kind of, you know, came up against a buzzsaw. Yeah, I mean, the first try were maybe, I don't think we overcommit, but maybe we put too much into, uh, from a team perspective or a mentality perspective, we put too much into stopping the rolling mole. And then our kind of, uh, our defensive line isn't ready for the attack and we're kind of cut through by a great line taken out. Like it was, a, it was a great score. The next try then is um, like that bounce is just really unfortunate for Carty. Like I, I, I still think you have to do a little bit better there, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate error. Um, at 24, 12, I was pretty happy with how we were playing. Like I thought we were creating a lot more chances than we did against Ulster. We looked to have pretty strong cohesion. I, I thought, I thought there were pretty good signs. I thought, like maybe a losing bonus points too much to ask here, but I thought we were playing pretty well. And like, it is worth putting in context that they scored three tries while we're down to 14 men. You know, we have Jared Butler go off injured and there's nobody available to replace him. And um, I'm not sure what his injury was, but it looked like he was headbutted in the face by Johnny Sexton. So if that's something to do with it, then I'm pretty irritated because that's a blatant red card, how a player can go off with a broken cheekbone. Um, and it not even be looked at like is is bizarre. And it's look at I'm not going to get into it because that's not necessarily why we lost. Right? I'm not saying if that gets called we don't lose. And look, refs decisions are missed everywhere. That's fine. Um, but that that one kind of stings a little bit um, just because of the the domino effect it has on us and our performance. So I think that we can look at <clears throat> look at 60, 65 minutes of that game and say we played really well. Majority, you know, obviously there's a couple of mistakes, but um, if that's another team, I think. You know, I don't think it ends necessarily that way. Um, Lencer are notorious for putting 40 points on people, you know, and I've seen people say that, oh, how many times are we going to concede this many points? I mean, you were talking about it on Saturday, Steve. We actually haven't had a massive loss margin like this too many times this year. So it's, um, it is what it is. It, we can't be too happy about it. We can't pat ourselves back too much, but you do have to take the positives from the first 60 minutes. Well, considering Leinster had a much stronger team and uh, in the reverse fixture, and we can't only concede 10 points that day. Defensively, anyone who says defensively were, were bad this year, compared to last year, is doesn't know what they're talking about, unfortunately. Connacht are much more, much more uh, um, efficient this year defensively. Um, and that's obvious in terms of scorelines. Yeah, they conceded forty-one, but three of those came, three of those tries came the last eleven minutes. I think it was and at that stage. The lads were exhausted, and you're co- you know you're coming up against possibly the most well-oiled machine in 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 world rugby at the moment in terms of Leinster. Um, Sam, we kind of have to talk about Jack Carty, um, just because it's everyone all current fans seem to want to talk about at the moment. 
Um, and some things I agree on, some things I don't agree on. I think we're all agreed here. Maybe Westy can disagree on this, but uh, I think in general play, I think Carty has been uh, fine to good most of this season. I think last night, uh, Connacht's attack looked much sharper, especially in that first half. And I think a lot of that comes from Jack. He was bringing the ball to the line, choosing good passing options, you know, playing on the edge. Uh, and that's what he does well. And Connacht seemed to tick when he does that. Um I think then obviously the counter argument to all this is the kicking and the kicking from hand, the kicking from the tee. Uh and there's no denying this is that has been pretty pretty poor this year. Um we've seen too many times now miss touch uh, kicks from hand, um both uh, at home and away and we've seen a lot of missed kicks from the tee, especially last night that strike was it was just it was weird like you just don't see that from Jack and he just comes across as a man who's lost confidence with the boot. Um the question is, what do Connacht do with that, Sam? What would you? What, what, what's your opinion on this? Uh, the quick fix, if Hawkshaw is not injured, is to just give the kicking duties over to Hawkshaw for the moment, uh, or if Fitzy, Fitzy to come in at fullback. I think that there's probably no difference between Fitzy and Tiernan at the moment with the standard Tiernan's playing. It's just, he's not himself. Uh, he had a really good game against Newcastle. I was so excited. I was like, this is great. This is the resurgence of... Uh, Tiernan, but he just hasn't been as good as he's been in the past. He's been an unbelievable player for Connacht. <clears throat> so if you can bring Fitzy in a fullback and have him as another kicking option and take that pressure off Carty, because it's a lot of pressure being the talisman, being the captain, being the most skillful player, the player that brings it in the out half and the kicker then on top of it, I think the pressure does get to him. And he is he's a confidence player. And when he's playing with confidence, there's nothing better. There's nothing sweeter to watch in the world. It's the way he can play, the way he can bring players into it. I thought he was fine yesterday in all areas except for his kick, and his kicking was obviously suspect. I think I read that he had better kicking stats than both Sexton and Harry Byrne, which is hilarious just considering uh, people are so critical of him. But it was, yeah, what happens when his kicking isn't on form is some of his other gameplay slows down a little bit. I don't think it was, I don't think it was his exuding confident self where he tries a couple of passes, you know, thinking on, he shipped a couple of on. But he did in the first half, like you mentioned, bring that level that the backs have not had all season up a step. And we were much, much better because he did in the first minute and I was so worried it was going to be a disaster. I was looking at 60, 70 nil thinking, oh, it's going to be one of those ones where we can't stop them. But then for the next 20 minutes or so, yes, they were relentlessly in our half, but we defended really well. And then when we got on the ball, we moved it and we worked it and we got it wide and we had nine Murray stepping up on the wing and popping it back inside. We'd players cutting inside. We had... Tom Farrell running really nice lines, you know, decoy lines off Hawkshaw. Everything was working and it was all because of the way Carty manages it. And that criticism that he gets online is quite a soccer mentality in terms of his criticism, I think. And I think that that area of rugby Twitter is getting a bit septic, in my opinion. There's a lot of really personal abuse that's getting thrown in. And the fact that he misses kicks is such an easy springboard for a lot of these people to criticize. And yeah, it's going to be the thing that sticks out in your mind because missed kicks stick out in the mind when you think about halves. That's a really frustrating side of rugby where your out half just tends to be your kicker because I think if you look at Ulster, they take a lot of pressure off Billy Burns. Billy Burns has some very mediocre games, but he doesn't get half the criticism of Carty because he doesn't miss kicks because Cooney or Doke takes them. Uh, and in France, you see fullbacks or scrum halves taking kicks all the time. And in New Zealand, you got Jordy Barrett playing fullback or wing or 12 and always taking kicks. So you can do it. It just doesn't seem to be a thing that's regularly done, especially iconic. Maybe that's Carty's decision as captain. He's just saying, no, 
but we saw earlier in the year him give over the reins to other kickers at different times and it work out for him. So I'd like to see that happen from for the next couple of weeks while he builds back up his confidence because he's when he, he's a confidence player and when he's playing his best rugby, he is integral to how Connacht play, integral to bringing that ex- exciting attacking flair into the Connacht game and integral to all things that have been good about Connacht for the last few years. So, Yeah, I, I, I would agree with a lot of that. I think they... I think they have to look though at yeah giving someone else a kicking and it's a brave call because you're sort of admitting in publicly that there is an issue um, with Jack's kicking uh, and I'm sure that you don't want to do that and you know does he does he continue kicking his way out of a slump uh, I I don't know what the best option is there's no there's no denying it at this stage no, like, there's the not. statistics are there and they're showing it so I don't think that it's admitting anything I don't think that it's showing anything that's underlying I think that you can make reference to it you as a coach or as a leader or Carty can come forward or a coach can come forward and say look this is just an element of the game that you need to think of like I think that you look at how much better Jared Butler has been since Carty took over captaincy captaincy weighs a lot on players and some players are able to stand to it some players aren't and I think Carty is very good as a captain but I think that there's an added element of stress when he has to kick as well so if you take that away from him it's I don't think it's admitting to anything because it's, it's plain and obvious for everyone to see that his kicking hasn't been good enough this season uh, you have Daly as well who's kicked for us in the past and he's kicked successfully I, I believe Blade kicked at underage level and is capable of kicking Fitzy can kick for us Hawkshaw if his knee isn't too bad can kick for us there's plenty of options there so I think it'd be good for him to take it away yeah, I'd like to see Fitzy come in at fullback um, and give him the kicking because he's been pretty solid this year um, going forward. But it's yeah, I, I definitely don't think dropping Jack is is the play because he's too important on the pitch. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they do next weekend um, at the sports ground. What they do because even at the sports ground he hasn't been kicking well. Uh, I will say pick on something you mentioned there, Sam. Uh, if you're a person who comments on Connacht's Instagram stories or posts or their tweets and just responds back with abuse, uh, you're an absolute loser. Uh, maybe your New Year's resolution should be to stop being such a loser uh, and to keep that opinion to yourself. Because A, Connacht don't give a fuck. They're not reading that post going, well, this guy said this, so we really need to up training this week, lads. You know what I mean? They're not, they don't give two shits. They're not reading it. So don't waste your time uh, and keep it to yourself there because no one else cares. I also want to know what the end game for those things are. Like I've seen it, I'm a, a huge soccer supporter and I've seen it in football Twitter for a number of years now like a really septic atmosphere about everything like no post can be put up without these like in Liverpool's case like sign a midfielder or so-and-so out or whatever and it's, it's gotten I think it's really infiltrated its way into Irish rugby Twitter and rugby Twitter in general where there's a, a really septic-y sort of underlying undercurrent of criticism just leveled at people constantly and like I, I don't like it because I think that it's new to rugby especially the, the social media side of rugby and it, it's really it's it's quite off-putting from my point of view because I don't feel that it was there even two years ago but it's really showing its head now recently uh, across the board Connacht for one instance but I've read online that you know the people dreading interpros between Munster and Leinster because it's not actually pleasant anymore because of the amount of interaction that goes between some of the Leinster fans and Munster fans uh, and I'd, I'd be similar. I think that you're almost more worried about the bullshit around it than the actual result of the game. 
Well, the problem is every every set of fans thinks that they're being screwed over by a ref. Or, you know, it's always biased bullshit. Uh, the ref, yeah, he spoke on the ref. Bar that, Miss Colin, John Sexton, and of course, was a couple of others, but there's always going to be that. I thought he actually handled the game very well. I thought he was very clear in his communication. Uh, handled the you know the, the the game never kicked off it it uh, in terms of you know arrives or anything like that and it was a good flow to the game I didn't think it was stop starting and stuff like that so I think overall I think Owen Cross is his name um it seems to be a young referee uh yeah thought it was good we you know we criticize referees as a as a community let's also praise one uh, when it's due as well but um Westy we saw Sam kind of allude to a, a lot of good performances on the kind of team. Uh, Tom Farrell in particular had probably one of his best games in a long time. Anyone else kind of stand out to you that you were really impressed by? Um, yeah, I thought Farrell was very good. Obviously, well, you guys have already kind of gone through it. I thought the Murray brothers were brilliant. Um, I think Seamus Hurley Langland is getting better and better as the weeks go on. I, do I? He's not at the, at a, I think a Leinster standard yet, or you know, not at a an all star level yet. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but um, definitely improving as he gets used to the run. Uh, one player I think had an um, unbelievable game and. I'm so happy for him because even I've leveled criticism on him recently is Dave Heffern. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. I don't know if he missed the line out. Um, caught one that went over the top. He carried really well. Um, I think maybe he got isolated once, but at the same time, you have to, other players have to respond when you make a break as well and get behind you. So I think I was really happy to see Dave Heffern um, come out and have, a, have such a strong game because he, he like it's tough for him being in Ireland camps and not playing and then having to come back and play for, uh, for Cardiff. And we have kind of, uh, Tooney Martin really kind of progressing and um, we have Delahunt back I love that we have three strong hookers and we've got good competition building there um, yeah apart from that I think um, actually though Wesley yeah, just, I thought, I thought, while I have you talking we forgot to kind of mention that how good was the line out the scrum the mall defence like the set piece last night was phenomenal considering the opposition yeah definitely I think I think that's really promising and now that, that all comes as far as I know it comes from one coach but those are controllables and it goes back to the Joe Schmidt stuff of control the controllables right you, we can control our line out we can control how we defend their line out we can control our scrum and I think on the commentary I was watching I think they said something like they've only conceded one or two scrum penalties in the whole uh, URC and that's really promising especially when Sam mentioned that Dominic Robinson-McCoy hasn't played hasn't started for Connacht yet this season so to go up against um, a, a, a Leinster pack and do well for Sam Elo to win a scrum penalty against Andrew Porter, like that's this is brilliant stuff to see. And I think um I think that um that's really promising to see from the forwards. And I think again I would say in an overall sense, I think our forwards and backs married a little bit better last night than they have uh, in the last couple of weeks in the season. So I really hope that that'll progress. Because a good set piece the only thing that's missing, sorry Steve, the only thing that's missing is that we used to have these amazing strike plays off scrum and liner. Now, I kind of see glimpses of them popping up, but they're not really coming off the same way they used to. So as long as we can establish that kind of set piece, I don't want to say dominance, but security, it's a matter of time before we have the confidence to bring those plays back into the game. Yeah, if if we could just pair the two of them up together, we'd be the best team in the world. Do you know what I mean? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm it's going to happen, though. I think that it has been hinting to happen. Best team in the world part or that, the that joining first, up of the... That, that first four, that first forty minutes against Breve, I thought was like this is when it started clicking, and then you've got the unfortunate byproduct of the URC having two interpros around Christmas. You've got two really tough games. Then after that, instead of building on what was a great first half display, not the second half, uh, but you've got a, a much harder opposition than after that. But no, I think that it is going to happen. I think you will see the fruits of all of this hardship we've been going through. Games like our results have been up and down this season. Uh, 
And this result, like we're, we're talking praise. We only scored 12 points. Uh, we're talking like high praise of a lot of players in a game where we lost 41-12, which is mental to think about. And people probably listen to this going, lads, you have to get over it because you lost. And we did lose. And there's a lot of really positive things to talk about on that Leinster team as well. Like you talk about Jimmy O'Brien, like how integral he was for Ireland in the autumn. I thought he was very good again. He's such an outball. Uh, Larmer was quite good, maybe not as good as RTE he thought he was, but he got his tries and that's what you want in a winger. And I thought uh, Charles Natai has been a phenomenal signing for them. I don't think they're missing a beat now that he's settled into it. It took a while for him to settle, but now he's settled into it. They're missing Robbie Henshaw, probably the best 12 in the Northern Hemisphere and maybe even the world, you know, if you think about it. And Charles Natai is just linking them up. And in 99% of their games, Natai is going to be a good enough 12 for them uh, to miss Robbie Henshaw to not have Robbie Henshaw in there and he allowed Liam Turner to come on a young lad and play as well as he did and score tries his ball for Liam Turner's like the line was brilliant but his his ball or his defect run or whatever it was was absolute sensational and they just they just ooze good players it's actually depressing like before the game said like Porter coming in because there was a sick injury like Jesus Scott Penny came on at one point I don't know did he come on or was he playing 12 or not but he came on he was playing through the center at one point he was linking up like any good center would like they're they're so stacked with players and they were excellent again yesterday and that's the sixth time out of 13 this season they've scored 40 plus points which means they average 40 odd points a game it's just so hard to play against yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, we have been pretty complimentary. Uh, let's look back to last week's Interpro, where we'll be definitely be less complimentary about Connacht's performance, and that was the Ulster uh, Connacht Ulster game uh, on the twenty third of December, uh, which we were all at. Um, this was really bad. Um, it took nearly a, 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 what's becoming a typical, and we'll get to that Ulster collapse uh, in the last ten minutes for Connacht to even sniff this game. Um, the attack was uh, never got going for the last five minutes, which was really frustrating because it was almost like when the backs were against the wall completely, they started to try and play rugby. Um, and just overall, just a, a bad day at the office. They'd come away with a losing bonus point. I think we all would have taken that with 10 minutes to go. Um, but to have a chance to draw at the end with Jack's kick, and it wasn't a terrible kick, it was a really bad angle for him. Um, I thought it was going over for a few minutes from our angle, but it didn't. Uh, but to only lose by two points, a bit like the Leinster game, wasn't really a fair reflection of that game either. I don't think Connacht were that close to them in terms of uh, the game. Um, but it's very hard. I'm trying to think back in that game, uh, Westy. But you, I think you'd agree with me, it was a pretty pretty bad day at the office, considering, especially considering the scoreline. I think it was a pretty bad day at the office for both teams, right? I mean, the first half was, was, enter- was entertaining to watch for the most part, but... Um, Ulster bar a couple of players that they weren't creating a lot of chances. We defended them really well. Um, okay, they're rolling balls really powerfully. And Henderson is a monster. Stuart McCluskey had some great carries. Like these are things we know about them and that we have to contain. Um, I remember saying to you guys at halftime it was five three and we were all like, oh, it's not, you know, it's going all right. But I just couldn't see where a try was going to come from. We weren't creating chances. We were, we were doing this thing of carrying up one or two times. And even though we were going forward, we were hoofing the ball down the pitch. And like I'm all for the strategic kicking game, and we know they can't have that. But you have to you have to marry it with, with some form of attack. And I don't think that was there for Connacht at all. We saw a glimpse of it when Blady got his try. And then all of a sudden, in the last 10 minutes, okay, Ulster switched off a bit, but we've managed to run the pitch and score in the corner. Like it's, that, there's two ways of looking at it, right? And most people saw that bit at the end. They were like, Jesus, Connacht almost came back and got them. Whereas I was like, where the hell was that for the last 70 minutes? Where has that been ever? Like it was, I don't think, I don't think we necessarily, we definitely didn't deserve the draw. Um, 
maybe we deserve to lose a bonus point because Ulster should have kicked on and buried us and they didn't. Um, but that's a game we should have won. I think going into it, we thought we were going to win it. But while it's really important for us, as our, for our season as a whole, to win that game, Ulster really had the bit between their teeth. They had to get a win. They were down. They had three losses in a row, and they were down the barrel of two interpros. And like, unfortunately, we weren't clinical enough to get them. Uh, and I'll just say one more thing. You were, you were talking about Jack Carthy against Leinster being good and like kicking quite well, being fair to good, kicking quite well, um, or distributing the ball quite well and running the attack line quite well. I thought he was. I didn't think that was good in the Ulster game. So I think there's kind of a split decision in my head with Carthy where it's like, if we're going to play expansive, exciting rugby, Carthy is the man to do it. I think he has that in his locker. I think he's brilliant at creating these crazy chances. But if we're going to play a more conservative kicking game, we need somebody more more of a clutch kicker in those situations. So whether you have uh, Daly at the centre to kick or Fitzy at fullback to kick, I, I think, I just don't understand what our game plan was against Ulster. And I don't think... Um, I don't think it was it was a good enough performance. I and I, I was really disappointed leaving the sports ground. Yeah, it was, and you kind of sparked my memory there. Absolutely, Connacht should have won that game. If Connacht have any haven't the aspirations of what we think they should have, that that also team that they lined out against Connacht were a much stronger team on paper at home, um, and they 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 shit the bed. There's no doubt about that. Um, I just want to bring up one more thing. Um, because I, I tweeted uh, that the podcasts were back, and I just checked, and Brian Quinn actually asked a question. Um, it's more of a, a Lenser question, uh, but uh, why do we think Connacht have moved away from using Connor Fitz at full back? We looked pretty good when Carty Fitz and the Hawk were on the pitch. Um, Sam, I can throw this one to you. Yeah, they, they don't. They, they seem hell bent on sticking with Tieran at full back, um, and they haven't. We haven't seen Fitzy now in a couple of in a couple of rounds. Why do you think they, 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 they keep sticking with Tiernan or, or, or aren't choosing to go with uh, Fitzy? Well, Fitzy had a bad game a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> where he found it very difficult, especially under the high ball. And I think that Tiernan, you know, he's not been playing to his best. He, he doesn't have that quick step break that he used to have, which was his bread and butter. He'd take the ball and he'd run back and he'd make a couple of yards, step a couple of people. I think yesterday I commented on it, his step early into the line was just so readable. It was telegraphed and he was getting tackled. Uh, but what he is is very secure under the high ball, and he always has been very good under the high ball. Uh, he got criticised wrongly about that into 2016. People said he wasn't good under the high ball, but he actually he's always been very competent, and that's where he is safe. And I think Fitzy struggled in that area. I think he played really well when he played fullback, so it's hard to know why he's not being picked at fullback and why they're persevering with Fit, uh, with Tiernan O'Halloran. I personally believe uh, that season that we had Portrait fullback was, to me, the best fullback display we've had in the last four years and I don't know why we haven't gone on further with that I think you were talking to him at one stage last year and he said he was supposed to be playing fullback for a game but then Wooten got sick so he had to move back to the wing and someone else came in and that's a shame for me because I think that when we see Portia fullback for half an hour at the end of a game he is lightning he brings the play he brings the play to the opposition his kicking game is quite good it's not perfect but it's good enough for a fullback especially considering he tackles the man who catches his kick so often so my my personal thing uh, opinion would be to go to Porchy at fullback but you know Fitzy and Tiernan seem to be the two that the coaching setup seem to be uh, more in favour of and Tiernan more so than Fitzy so it's it's hard to know why they've not gone with him outside of maybe he's just not that confident under the high ball and they just need you need to be confident under the high ball because if you're going to play the game that Connacht have which is to keep the ball down there and play a lot of kick tennis there is going to be a lot of high balls to, to gather so maybe until he proves that 
I think defensively he's been sound. Uh, he was beaten on the outside a couple of weeks ago, uh, which was poor, but that was the whole team were beaten on the outside. I think defensively as a fullback, he's, he's sound and his kicking game is is very, very good and very useful to have that left foot kicking, op- kicking option as well. So, yeah, something needs to be done about it, uh, even if it is to bring in the kicking option for Jack as well. That's an added bonus to it, but something needs to be done because that is that's a, it's a problem point for us at this stage. Uh, I think Adam Byrne is also potentially in the mix. He played a little bit of fullback from Leinster, not too much, but he's got the stature of someone and we know he's very good on a high ball. We've seen that as well. So, you know, you could bring him into it, but he's you know struggling to stay on the pitch in terms of fitness as well. So it's, it's a conundrum there that is definitely going to live on for the rest of this season anyway. And hopefully something is done about it, be that signings or be that a commitment to someone at fullback uh, for next season onwards. But we're, we're going to have to live with it this season because the squad is what the squad is. Yeah, the thing, uh, we'll finish up on this with Connacht. Um, the thing I would say is, yeah, I like Portia fullback mainly because games like last night when Portia's in the wing, he's almost wasted. Like, he wasn't getting much ball. He just was kind of defending and covering kicks. And it's a waste of his kind of talents. Whereas, at least at fullback, he gets a few runs of the defense. I feel like he's in the game more. Uh, I just think that's better for Connacht going forward. But again, we, we'll see what they do. Um Moving on to the other Interpro that was on uh, before the Connacht game, Ulster Munster up in Raven Hill. Uh, Munster snatching this one at the death, uh, fifteen points to fourteen. Um, and let's let's we'll, we'll talk about Munster at, at, at uh, first because I want to get stuck into Ulster. But um, Munster have turned their season around. There's no doubt about that. Um, they're starting to play a lot better rugby and they're starting to win games. More importantly, and they've won now a good few uh, on the trot. I think in the URC. Uh, and they don't know when to say die. They are always in games no matter what. Uh, and they have an incredible attitude when it comes to these games. And and like the first half, it was two teams that were very evenly matched. They couldn't break each other down, hence the low scoring. Um, both tries were scored uh, after the, what, 67th. And then Healy scored 79. Parsons scored just before half time, or after halftime. Uh, it was a really good battle of a game. Not necessarily a great watch in terms of skill sets and all that. But... Uh, Munster just dogged it out. They they kind of knew as well that Ulster Ulster were capable of of a late game collapse. Uh, stuck in it and, and grinded out the win. Um, Westy Munster they they seem to be just on a, on a constant rise now, and you know nobody wants to face them going forward. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think there are parts of their attack that look really really slick. I actually thought um, Fekatoa had a really good game. Um, I think he's definitely improving. Um. The more he plays with them, I know he got off to kind of a disappointing start, and obviously uh, Anton Frisch was was brilliant again. I, I think the what we're starting to see with Munster again is is the kind of is a good mix of of the Munster of old and the Munster and a kind of new game plan. They're playing a kind of slightly more attacking style of rugby, and while Ulster defended really well and kept them out for long parts of it, I mean I kind of didn't you know I remember two or three occasions where Ulster were camped in a line and kept them out. Um, it is that monster of all where if you give them a chance in the debt, if they camp on the line, they'll put it up the jumper and, and they're very, very dangerous. So I think I think it's an exciting time for, for Munster. Um, I, I do think Ulster would be disappointed with how they finished. Um, but it's definitely, this is definitely part of a stepping stone of, of Munster building. And even the week before, I know people have been critical of them against Leinster, but uh, Leinster created two chances and took them. They kind of sat back and let them attack. And I think Munster did a lot really well in that game. They did the same stuff a little bit better against Ulster and it worked out for them. So I think it's all part of an upward trajectory and I'd be, I'd be, I'd be pretty confident if I was a Munster fan now if they've taken some points that people probably wouldn't, wouldn't have given them uh, that two months ago. Yeah, no, 100%. Sam, what was your thoughts on, on Munster's performance? I thought they Munstered it. I thought it was a, a 
fairly mediocre game in terms of standard, in terms of viewability, but Munster would be really, really happy with the result. They came away from Raven Hill with a result that looked out of the question at halftime. They weren't in the game at all. Like Munster weren't great, but they were tipping over with their points and getting getting the job done. I think it was 9-0 at halftime. And in my mind, that was Munster done. But yeah, they've really changed their attitude. They've they've gotten back to that quite bit between the teeth monster that you remember from a few years ago. And they've definitely added a standard to their play that wasn't there earlier on in the season or for the last number of years. They've, they're linking up much better. They've got players like Fekitoa growing into it. Frisch is an excellent distributor. Uh, I thought Haley Daly, you know, very good. I thought Crowley was probably not as good as most people are saying, uh, but he had one massive break that ended up almost being the difference or pretty much being the difference maker for the two teams. Paddy Patterson, yeah, he got isolated a couple of times and he maybe not his best game in terms of the last couple of weeks, but he's very quick. He's a, he's an excellent third choice, uh, if not, you know, maybe second choice now. Murray's kind of not really featured and is probably going to fall down the pecking order uh, as the weeks go on. Then Klein, Klein coming back in brought a uh, brought a level of kind of size and strength that they needed with Kieran McDonald as well. So I think Munster will be really happy with it. I think on the whole, there's a lot more growing for Munster to do, but they picked up two results now, a losing bonus point to Leinster and a good good enough performance. And then this win away in uh, Raven Hill, which is two games that in my mind is Connick fan because we had to keep our eyes on Munster because they were, they'll be in that fight for seventh or eighth, well, which is what kind of want to have their eyes on for the end of this season. I don't think Munster will push top four unless they go on a massive run. Even then it'd probably be on them with the South African teams and Leinster. Uh, and then Ulster, Ulster probably fall a little bit out of that now in the, the run that they're on. Uh, so keeping an eye on Munster as kind of a, a rival for that seventh or eighth spot, they look like they're growing. They look like they're getting up ahead of steam and kind of maybe getting themselves out of catchable, catchable range uh, because I was expecting them to drop points, drop a lot of points over this week, this last two weeks, and they haven't. Uh, so they will be chuffed with the result no matter how it came. Uh, fair play to Ben Healy for getting the try in the conversion at the end. You know, that's it's a big moment for him. Rumours he's going to be going off to Scotland. Uh, I won't, don't think that those two actions in that game would change, should, should change any coach's mind. If if they didn't want to keep him, they didn't want to keep him. I don't, I don't think he had much more to add. And I don't think he has added much more for them other than the ability to kick. Uh, I've seen some slight hints of people wanting him for Connacht, which I think just to me shows that they're watched a URC highlights video where he scored the winning kick and done nothing else in games. And that's what he does. Uh, and he kicks very well. And he's, Better kicking presenters than Cardi does and better distance than most kickers, but I don't think he adds much more. So I wouldn't be too adverse to him going over to Scotland if that comes about at the end of the season and I wish him well if he does. Uh, but from, from the match, yeah, struggle to watch it now because I wasn't emotionally invested in either team and it wasn't an exciting spectacle, but Munster really so happy with that win. I'm not going to talk about Ben Healy because I will Monster Monster Twitter will come after me, so I'm not going to say anything. Um, yeah, I'm actually just looking at the table here, and Munster they're seven points ahead now of Connacht, um, but they've only won one more game than us. They've won five, we won four, but they've three more losing a uh, losing bonus point or bonus points. Um, and again, that seems to be rearing its ugly head for Connacht once again. Um, you think of a few of the games that they didn't get bonus points from. Um, and you could be, you know, you could be another couple of spots up, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Ulster because Munster, yeah, great win, especially looking at the teams. Uh, Munster without their big international stars, 
Um, starting Jack Crowley at 10, Paddy Parson at 9, you had Alex Kandelan, Kieran McDonald starting, Roman Salanoa starting as well. Like This was by f- no by no means the strongest Munster team. Going up against a pretty strong Ulster team, all things considered, bar one or two spots, and Ulster at home don't get the job done. Westy, it's a weird time in Raven Hill. It's a weird time for Ulster. A lot of talk, a lot of a lot of fans unhappy with Dan McFarland and where he's at now at the club. He came out pretty strongly after the game and criticised the team that they're a bit soft. Um, I personally like that because I think he's right, but at the same time. Is that what you should be doing as a coach after your players have lost? Uh, you know, a last second kind of defeat to uh, to an interpro rival. Where, 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 what do you think about all this stuff going on at Ulster? What do you think about McFarland? I I think whether you agree with him or not, I think it it only really reflects poorly on him to start giving out about the players. I think um, I know what he said. I don't think it was necessarily that pointed. Like I think it, you have to also be allowed to criticize the performance and say, look, we just weren't good enough. Um, I think like Ulster are still third in the table. They've only lost three games. Okay, they they thought they'd do better against Leinster, but they woke the beast. They don't get an easy Leinster anymore. They get the full strength Leinster. Um, I think this is really this is the main one. I think for them, they feel like they should have won to, to lose in the last minute to a try, and even to get that penalty conceded uh, was a five minutes before the end. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's all alarm bells yet. Like so, like obviously the Champions Cup puts a negative spin on things for them as well. Um, but all they need is a good run in, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting pretty in the table. Um, they've their interpros behind them now. They've done well. Um, it'll be more about how they react now and how they build back. I, I can't imagine they're going to put too much into the champions cup anymore. Um, seems to be kind of a lost cause for them. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think their focus should be the league and their focus should be, um, you know, getting to getting up to second and, and trying to secure home, se- home quarters and semis. Um, and in those games, look, we've seen we've seen the Ulster performances. We know they're there. They just seem to have dropped off lately. So where there's been a slight change in the game plan that, that has, has knocked things out um, or whether they've been figured out now and, and we won't see that game plan again, I, I don't know. But I think they have... They're, they're still in a really good position and they have plenty of games left um, to build and then... Um, Maybe achieve something in you know in, in one-off games. Anything can happen in quarters and semis. Um, so if they put themselves in the right position for those, I, I don't think their season is all but lost. I know it's frustrating, but like I'd be pretty happy if we were in third, to be honest. But I know it's a different, um, it's a very different perspective. Uh, I dis, I just dis, I don't know. I, I disagree in terms of uh, last season. At the end of last season, we all wanted to see uh, stronger Ulster, uh, more mentally strong Ulster, and I feel like they've gone the opposite direction. I think they've gotten weaker. We've seen too many collapses. Like that Connacht game, like Connacht should have had not a chance in that game, and also let them come away with a losing bonus point, potentially a draw. Um, that game yesterday, they score with what ten minutes to go, uh, Balakun, and again they just don't kick on. They just sort of, I don't know, they all just, they just shrivel up. And the problem is now every team knows that in the league about Ulster, they know it themselves. McFarland's not high shying away from it. Um, and now just going into the business end of the season, I just don't. Know, I think they're gonna. I, I don't think they're gonna fall out of top, you know, positions or anything like that. But I can't see them challenging for anything. And that was the whole. That's what I expect from Ulster, and that's what I think everyone expects from Ulster is to be challenging for these things. So I don't know, Sam. There's a lot of uh, Ulster fans kind of want McFarland maybe to to go at the end of the season. Um, there's a, a kind of a question being asked: Has he brought them as far as he can bring them? What What do you think about that? It's tough. Like we, we were here a week ago when I was talking about that being a horseshit mentality from an Ulster point of view. 
because of how well McFarland's done for them in the last while. But maybe it is the case. I've been reading a lot of, you know, uh, I can't remember, Peter Lockhart, who's the Red Hand podcast. He's very good. Uh, reading a lot of uh, fan opinions on Ulster. And maybe, yeah, the, they seem to be lacking something that that coaching team mightn't have been able to get them to. But I believe he's on quite a hefty contract, so it's going to be hard to get, get him out. They've invested very heavily in players, you know, Kitsoff coming in. They have Sutherland on a, a season-long contract. They have Tumaga Allen, who hasn't featured at all, but he's next all-black, so he's not going to be cheap. They have Dwayne Vermeulen there. So they, they've invested very heavily in that team and with a win-now win mentality. They're, they're no longer in the position where they can say they're in transition because they're not. They're at the end of what should have been the transition period, and they should be fighting for honours. So it's, I think it is maybe some warranted criticism at McFarland. That being said, if they were to let go of McFarland, as a Connacht supporter, I'm looking going, we need a director of rugby for next year. McFarland knows Connacht from his time here. He's been unbelievable for Ulster in the last few years. I would have no problems at all if we went and got him and had Pete Wilkins working as the head coach underneath him because I do believe he's an excellent coach. But yeah, excellent coaches can only go so far sometimes. They're missing Jared Payne a lot this year. I think that their defensive stability in the last couple of years has been something they've built on and they've just not looked the same. They've not looked as imperious as they had done in the past. So it's it's tough, tough time for them. And now I'm looking at their fixtures now. They've Benetton away, La Rochelle away, Sale at home, Stormers at home, and their next four. Like that, that could potentially be four losses. And the errors compounding on top of four losses after the interpros that they've had and the Champions Cup before that, it it really could go downhill quickly for them here. If they those losses, that mentality could just disappear completely, and it could be a really tough second half of the season to just stay relevant. If that's the case, and if that is the case, there will be further calls from McFarland's head. I don't agree with them really, but I'm starting to see the point of view of the Ulster fans just from what they're saying that they've gotten to a position now where they've plateaued under them. I, I understand that point of view, and I'm starting to come around to it a little bit more. But I still just think McFarland has done wonders in creating a very deep squad of excellent players there. And I would give him backing, but I'm not an Ulster fan, and I can understand the emotion of being a fan and being frustrated. We had the same with Kieran Keane here where people looked at us going, you've won Interpros for the first time ever under this coach. And we're going, yeah, but it's the other shit that's wrecking our heads. So it is hard from the outside to look in an observer. But yeah, if I, if I was an Ulster fan right now, I don't know how I'd feel. But from the outside, I kind of think that they should just continue to back him. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with getting rid of him mid-season. That's, that's too much like no. soccer and it's ridiculous. Um, I think the, a, lot of, a lot of it depends on how the players react to the next couple of weeks to react being a little bit called out by the coach if they they'll decide a lot of that if they don't like it and they you know play badly and they don't want to play for the coach it'll, it'll be pretty evident and that will I think will obviously either you know put the nail in his coffin or if they you know they spring on and they want to play for him then they'll you know they'll react well I don't actually disagree too much with the blaming the players the way he has done I was quite complimentary of friendy doing it only a few weeks ago where I think that there's messages that if they're not working behind the scenes, if the messages aren't working, you do need to take an alternative tact. And sometimes that is to call them out publicly because it's not working privately. So I think it's how they react to that that will show it. But uh, I don't necessarily think it's as bad as some players. I think that people who want to criticize them will criticize them if he doesn't criticize them publicly or criticize them if he does criticize them publicly. They're going to criticize them regardless. So I think personally that this wasn't the wrong thing to do. It'll only be the wrong thing to do if, you, if it doesn't work out for them. Uh, but coaches have routinely throughout history had to go to the extent of criticizing players publicly if it's not working privately. 
time and time again in various sports, it does happen. So I, I'm not too uh, against that action. No, great. Speaking of coaching changes, uh, England, I know we haven't, it's old news now, but we haven't talked about it here. England let Eddie Jones go and have got in Steve Bordwick from uh, Leicester. Uh, he's come in now and taken over charge. Um, my views on this, I don't think they should have got rid of Eddie personally. Um, I don't think we've seen anything that we haven't seen before with England, unless the only thing I can think of is that he may have burned so many bridges just with his personality, that maybe they just wanted to get rid of him. But this close to a World Cup uh, and with how they tend to per- perform in World Cups and uh, how easy their side of the World Cup is, uh, I think it was an un- unnecessarily uh, rash move. But look, at, uh, we'll see how they get on. But Westy, what, what was your views on this uh, decision? Yeah, I kind of agreed with with the Eddie Jones stuff. Like whether there was a master plan or not, like that's that's what you paid for with Eddie Jones. Like that's what happened in twenty nineteen. Um, they had an awful year in twenty eighteen, and then they started that Six Nations and they they built this amazing, um, these amazing performances that got them to a World Cup final. I think the IRFU paid him to repeat that process again, and here they are at the kind of um, at what you could say is a turning point, um, and they they give up on it. Um, now look, I'm not saying. They should have definitely stuck with them. I'm just saying that, like, this is what they paid for. This is what they were told to expect. So, um, I was disappointed to see him go. I would have liked to see if there was a great game plan, but I see from their perspective as well. I mean, there's like going to Twickenham's not cheap, and they're not selling out games anymore. Like, they they need to get fans on side. So you can think that oh, the fans won't go if Eddie loses a few games, but if the tide starts to turn, then that pressure can get pretty strong. Um, so I'm disappointed to see him go. I like Steve Portwick. Leicester obviously played. A, uh, I didn't watch them as much now this year, but they played a great brand of rugby last year. We obviously know firsthand kind of how dangerous they were. Um, he knows other players. He's been in the England camp before. Um, my only worry is, I mean, they've given him five years, so that they're they're in a sense. <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. They're in a sense scratching this World Cup anyway, and saying just go out there and do what you can and see how we go. And if that was your mentality, then well, why not just stick with what you were doing to begin with? But look, and I think um, I think it's probably a good decision from a uh, overall, let's say, England as a club decision. Um, I've said before, like, I, I wouldn't like Eddie Jones to coach Ireland. Like, I, I think he's he's quite a, uh, and I say this in inverted commas, a volatile character. I'm not saying he's not a nice person to people off it, but he quite often is trying to start niggle in the press and stuff and a bit up the game. I'm just not a big fan of that way of, of going about things. Um so I totally get why it, it became too much, but I, I think they chickened out a little bit from perfectly honest. Abrasive is a good word to use for Eddie Jones, I think. Yeah, that's word. better. So, yeah. Uh, Sam, what was your views on this? I don't think they should have sacked him, really. I didn't think at the time. I, I understand the reasoning behind it because he is, you've said, abrasive or polarizing in his views and his, his way about going things. He's cost them a fortune getting rid of backing staff over the last couple of years. He's seemingly rubbed up a couple of players quite badly, uh, but only one or two have actually come out in any way gleeful about his sacking. So I don't think that there there's as much in that as people make out. I think when players are dropped, the media and fans assume that they're dropped harshly, but actually it doesn't seem to have been the case too much. There was a bit of messing around with a couple of players going into camp and then not getting games and being released the day of it. Kako Singwa was supposedly injured, but then played a week later for or two days later for bat. So there's a bit of that kind of shite that goes on with them but I think from an England point of view yeah they needed to do something like Westy said like they're, they're charging stupid money for tickets there in Twickenham and they weren't selling out and they needed to get the fans back on side my downside and the downside of this entire thing is we will never see if there was a master plan we, it, it's now 
in a moot point like we don't know if what he was doing was going to work we can only decide you know based on how england do in the world cup whether what whether or not it was a good idea but we'll never see if this turgid year and a half of doing whatever they were doing was a master plan again and if it was it would have been phenomenal but we'll never know and that's that's quite depressing uh, i read earlier as well proudfoot who was the forwards coach who was the forwards coach for south africa when they absolutely hammered england in the final uh former scottish international uh, south african born player he was the forwards coach in england he's left now uh, as of the last couple of days and is going to take up a job in south africa i think he was with the stormers before as well so that could be a big loss but that could be uh Bortuk's doing uh regardless of what it is it has cost the rfu silly money they had to buy him out of his contract which was rumored to be a couple of million uh, and then to buy Bortwick out of his contract was rumored to be another million and then whoever the backing staff is it's all in all it's going to cost them four or five million to do to make this change so it needs to work for them because you know they're they're a rich union they have the handy side of players being paid really well by international or by uh, external investors with the club game but, you know, money in rugby is not flush. Rugby as a whole worldwide is not flush with money. Uh, so they're going to have to do well in the Six Nations to recoup a little bit of that. Uh, and they're going to have to continue to do well to recoup some of the money to show that this investment was worthwhile in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, look, well, only time will tell. Uh, Eddie Jones, who knows his next move? I hope he goes to the States for in that eight-year contract because that'll be fun. Um, I, I like that but I also hope he goes to someone that beats England in the World well, Cup true, I think yeah. could be the USA in, in eight years could be the USA an advisor for Australia in this current World Cup because Australia are on the up as well and they like Eddie Jones over there so it, it could be well worth it uh, just to get imagine oh yeah Aust- yeah they, they is do, Dave uh, Rennie over South, uh, Australia yeah, at the moment is, yeah. I don't know did they work together before but yeah like working relationship with Australian himself uh, he's Obviously, an unbelievable advisor in rugby. He's he's a rugby brain beyond belief. I think I read a couple of articles about him after he was sacked, about innovations in rugby in the last few years and how they all came through him and how he in, innovated a lot of what we do now in terms of pod systems and stuff. West, he'd be much better versed in some of the language around it, but he's a yeah, he's an innovative coach and he finds a way to win games. So if someone was to bring him in for the World Cup, it would just be sensational, especially if they ended up beating England definitely alright lads we'll wrap it up there we're approaching the hour mark uh, it's good to get the first podcast of 2023 and thanks to everyone who's listened to us over the last year uh, and hopefully we enjoy all the po- you enjoy all the podcasts this year uh, and we continue to grow and have a bit of crack so Westy enjoy your holidays away please don't die before you get to the airport um, and yeah we'll be back next week to recap uh, Connacht versus the Celsi Sharks alright boys appreciate it chat you later, later.